Okay, so we start a new series. We start a new book, Esther, the book of Esther. Uh, I do need to give you an update. So last time I, I need to do this because if I don't, I won't do this. I have to tell you what's going on or I'm not going to tell you anything that's going on with me because that's my habit. Okay, so this neck injury, I got nine injections in the neck muscles. That's been helpful. Uh, I got a nerve blocker on Wednesday, this past week on Wednesday, and it started kicking in on Friday, finally. And so that's been helpful. Uh, I still have a spinning world. I still have an unsteady world. Um, so the trauma, the, the inflammation um, is sending wrong signals, obviously, to the nerves and to everything, and so I, I need to work on that. So I'm saying that so that you will pray. That's the only reason why. I need you to pray. Uh, so there's been some advancement. And there can be a lot more. Okay? So thank you. Thank you for praying because I know that you have. All right. So most of us stay in this room. In this room, most of us today, <laughs> and most of us in churches all over Waco and all over the United States, we all want God to show up. We all want God to do something amidst all the chaos. You know, the psalmist says things like this. The psalmist says, oh, God, rise up, wake up, shake yourself off, act, work, move amidst the chaos. Vindicate, defend, oh, God, help, rescue, reach, heal. Grant salvation in the chaos. All of us are asking that. Every, everyone's asking that, whether they acknowledge that to God or not. Everyone today wants to know within the church, at least here, churches all over Waco, churches all over the United States, the church is asking, oh God, why don't you show up? Why don't you do something? Amidst all the chaos, like we see in the Bible. Isn't that the trick? I mean, we have the Bible. We've seen what God does. We've read <laughs> about what he, how he shows up. And all of us are asking, why don't you show up and do something like you did in the Bible? So why doesn't he? That's what the book of Esther is asking. The book of Esther is asking the same question that we are asking. Oh, God, why don't you show up? Oh, God, why don't you do something like we read about in the Bible? So if you're asking that question and you want to solve the mystery of the missing God, the book of Esther is for you. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Uh, I am going to read in the name of Asuras. He's more known to us in culture and history as Xerxes, so I'm just going to use the name. It's easier to, to comprehend. In the days of Xerxes, the Xerxes who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in the days when King Xerxes sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, the capital, in the third year of his reign. He gave a feast for all his officials, 
and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his great 180 days, that's six months. And when these days were completed, the, gay, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the capital, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There, there were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king, and drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women at the palace that belonged to King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he's drunk, he commanded these seven eunuchs, Mahuman, Bisma, Harbona, Bigda, Agabetha, Zether, Sarkis, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Xerxes, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty. For she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you that your word speaks us back to life again, that your word carries all the divine life, all the divine power, all the divine energies needed for us this morning. So we ask that you would impart them to us. Oh God, open our eyes. Oh God, work powerfully in our hearts, our lives, our relationships, our city, this culture, the United States. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Xerxes has it all, right? I mean, as you read chapter 1, you're supposed to be impressed. So if you're wondering, what am I supposed to feel? What's the force of this text? The force of this text is you should be impressed. You should be saying, anyone that reads this should be going, look at him. Look at him. Wonder, awe. I mean, we should applaud as we read this. All of us should have been like a standing ovation kind. You should have been like, Look at him. The city of Waco should throw a parade like Kansas City did for the Chiefs, for the world champions, right? Queen, as we read this, is blaring in the background. We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers, for we are the champions of the world. Look at verse 1. Now in the days of Xerxes, Xerxes who reigned from India to Ethiopia, he reigned from sea to signing sea. He's the champion of the world. Look at verse 1 again. Xerxes reigns over 127 provinces. This means he reigns over what used to be free countries, free nations, free races, free cultures, free peoples. He now is the most powerful person in the world. If you were to look at all of history, all of human history, He's probably in the top five, at least in that group. Nebuchadnezzar would probably be in there, but he's even more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. 
perhaps the most powerful man that ever lived. Xerxes is not only impressive, but he wants to impress you. That's why he throws a massive six-long party in verses 3 through 4. Look at this. This is a phenomenal party. It lasts for six months, 180 days. And the intention is he's throwing it for all the important people of the world. All the people, the important people he just conquered. Every country, race, nation, culture. He took the important people, brought them, and threw a party for them. And any important people that had surrounded him helped him do it. All the important people of the world are there. And he throws a six-month-long party for them. But verse 4 also gives us another little detail. It's actually not just saying he decided to throw a six-month-long party. It's actually saying it took six months for him to come to the end to exhaust all his accomplishments before them. He's showing off his greatness, his impressiveness, his importance, his riches, his wealth, his beauty. The sexual desirability and pleasures that he has before him. And it took six months for the train of it to go before all the people. Six months to show off all that he had. In chapter 1, Xerxes is saying to you, to me, to the whole world, look at me. Recognize me. Look at me. Now, he's not doing anything new, though, is he? He's not doing anything novel, anything innovative. I mean, good night. Reality TV show is built on this. Instagram and Facebook and social media is built on this. Look at me. Recognize me. <laughs> right? Look at me. Look at my accomplishments, or at least my kids' accomplishments. Right? Oh, my word. Look at me. Look at how impressive I am. Look at my wisdom. Look at, look at my moral superiority. Look at me. Look at my views. Look at my political, cultural, racial. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my riches. We call them blessings from God. Look at my beauty. Look at my sexual desirability. Xerxes doing nothing new, nothing innovative, right? Nothing novel. The political world's doing it. The cultural world's doing it. Uh, the big business media world's doing it. The church with its current race identity dogma and race identity activism is doing it. Look at me. Recognize me. Justify me. This is why all these worlds, this is why the political world, the media world, the cultural world, and the church world is so unsafe right now and so unstable. Because whatever is a part of look at me, whatever is a part of recognize me, whatever is a part of justify me must be right. It must be divinized. And whatever's not a part of look at me, whatever's not a part of justify me, whatever's not a part of recognize me, is wrong. It's demonized. Look at me wrecks lives, wrecks relationships, wrecks families, wrecks churches, wrecks communities, wrecks cultures, wrecks 
country. Yeah, we do the same thing, though. Look at me. Recognize me. Justify me. So we lie. We exaggerate stories. I've never been known to exaggerate a story. Look at me. So we say unkind and untrue things about people we disagree with. Look at me. So we become bullies. And we become cowards. See, a coward is someone that doesn't want you to look at them. The Bible calls it the fear of man. It's still about looking at me. It's still about justifying me. Your view of me is so important that I won't do what needs to be done with courage and with honor because I fear you, your disapproval. Look at me is why we're so deeply hurt when we're not looked at, when we're so deeply hurt when we're not recognized or we're overlooked, whether we're overlooked in our marriage or overlooked at home or overlooked at church or overlooked in the community or overlooked at work. That's why we're so devastated when we're not recognized. We're utterly, we feel utterly unimportant because we need people to look at me. Look at me, recognize me hurts us all. I want you to take a good look at verses 1 through 7 because this is really quite unique in all the Bible. I want you to look at the amount of space that's given to Xerxes' impressiveness. Do you see this? Look at the amount of detail that's given to Xerxes' importance. There are only two places in all the Old Testament that spends that much space on glory, that much space, that detail on greatness. You know what those two other places are? The tabernacle and the temple. In other words, the two places of the real king. Esther chapter 1 is saying to you, it's saying to me, it's saying to the church, it's saying to everyone that will listen, look at me, this need to be more. Recognize me, this need for more. Justify me is trying to take the place of the real king. In other words, y'all, we all want to be king. All of us, we want to be king. Can we have an honest conversation, though, about that? I mean, seriously, one that we're not pretending to pretend, but one that we actually pretend to be truthful. It goes like this. Um, have you noticed that trying to be king, trying to be more, anytime I've tried to be king, like in our marriage, or try to be king in our home, or in my parenting, or try to be king at church, or try to be king anywhere, anywhere I've tried to be king, we're just going to have an honest conversation. This might not apply to you, but I think it does. Uh, when we try to be king, have you noticed when you try to be more, when you want more, it never works out? Have you noticed that? Xerxes has everything. He literally has everything. Verses 1 through 7 is he has everything like no other human being has probably ever had in the history of humankind. You'd expect him to be what? Happy. 
you'd expect him to be the most stable, healthy human being on the planet. You'd expect him to be content. You'd expect him to be flourishing. But at the end of six months of continuing partying, he's a sad, lonely, angry man. Verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. The only emotion that's recorded in all this greatness and all this importance and all this impressiveness and all this glory, the only emotion that's recorded of the most powerful person who has it all is he's lonely and he's angry. Remember Buzz Lightyear with that great line to Woody in Toy Story 1? You're a sad, strange little man. You have my pity. He's a sad, lonely, strange little man in the end. Trying to be king doesn't make you happy. It never works out. Have you noticed trying to be king, though, never works out? Why? Because we're not kings. Everything in this passage screams, Xerxes is king. Xerxes is in control. Xerxes is the most powerful person ever. (laughs) And then the Bible in the midst of this gives two laughable clues that he's not. I mean, watch this. The first one, he thinks he can control fun. Did you pick that up? You wondered what that weird edict was, didn't you? You were like, what is that doing in there? Here's what's happening. Look at verse 8. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. In other words, Xerxes is making a law to have fun. (laughs) He thinks, I can legislate fun. I can control happiness. Who thinks like that? I mean, seriously. Who thinks like, hey, drink and party and like it. Who believes like that? Who lives their lives like that? Right? You will have a good time. (laughs) You will have fun. Oh, a fun law is laughable. You're supposed to laugh at this. This is absolutely laughable because he thinks he can control the human heart. And the Bible from beginning to end says, no way. You can't control the human heart. No one can control the human heart. You can't control your spouse's heart. You can't control your children's heart. You can't control your employees' hearts. You can't control your boss's heart. You can't control your own heart. laughable second did you see this one this one too is is breathtakingly funny you just have to see it in the right way i mean nobody laughs anymore we haven't laughed for six months i think but you should be able to laugh at this xerxes thinks he can control the world i mean look from sea to shining sea right he controls the world from sea to shining sea he controls 127 provinces all the peoples of the world right every race nature culture people country He controls it right, but don't miss this. He can't control his wife. Now, today, you know, that sounds like I shouldn't say that. (laughs) And that culture, that's the biggest joke in the world. It's okay. 
okay, we're going to get through this. Verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. You see that? Many today think, I am in control. Look at me. Recognize me. Rioters and harmful people think that. Political leaders and political parties think that. The media thinks that. Culture warriors think they're in control. Church leaders and churches think they're in control. Self-appointed leaders in the culture and the church think they're in control. The CDC thinks they're in control. Harmful, power-hungry, superpower nations all over the world, they think they're in control. And chapter 1 of Esther is saying to you and me and saying to the church and saying to the world and saying to all the power brokers out there, anyone that will listen, the real king Psalm 2 says, when the kings come together against him, he belly laughs. What a joke. Ever notice that trying to be king, trying to be more, trying to want more, needing to be more, needing to want more, never works out? (laughs) Why? Because all our efforts are weakness. Do you see what's happening? All our efforts to be king, all our efforts to be more, all our efforts to want more is so weak. It never works out, but it's so weak that it actually does the opposite of what we want. Do you see this? All of Xerxes' efforts to be more, to be more impressive, actually make him less impressive. Do you see how this works? I'm going to just kind of fly through verses 16 through 20. We're just going to do a quick overview. You've got one of his advisors coming to him and saying, I mean, here, it's a catastrophe, right? Not o- he says, not only king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but she's done wrong to all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Xerxes. Her behavior is going to be known by all women all over the world. He's freaking out. And when they do, you know, everything's freaking out. The whole fabric of society is falling to pieces in his eyes, right? And he goes in, he says, this very day all the noble women of Persian media have heard the queen's behavior will say to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath everywhere. If it please the king, can we let a loyal, uh, you, you can't make this stuff up, right? He wants to be impressive. He doesn't want anybody to know about this, but now they're going to send out an edict to the whole world about it. laughable and here it may be so the decree in verse 20 made by the king was proclaimed through all the kingdom and it was vast and here's what the decree was all women will give honor to their husbands high and low alike (laughs) this is y'all instead of simply apologizing to his wife for being a jerk that's all he has to do that's all he has to do I have been in ministry for 20-some-odd years and then in campus ministry for another eight on top of that. I've seen every kind of relational conflict there is under the sun. I've seen what people say about difference of philosophy of ministry. You changed, but we haven't. Um, I've seen different views. It's, it's our views. I've seen every, you're evil, I'm good. I've seen every kind of relational tension, relational trigger, relational conflict under the sun. And I want to tell you now, 
99.9% of them could be resolved by one simple thing. Just apologize. That's all he had to do. But instead, he makes it a matter of national security. He blows this thing up. He elevates this thing up. The whole fabric of society is being torn into pieces. No wife will ever listen to their husband again. Do you see how outrageous this is? We're meant to see how outrageous this is. But isn't that what happens? When we're so busy being king, and we're so busy making our thrones, and we're so busy saying, look at me, recognize me, if something threatens it, it's a matter of national security. And this text is saying, you're really not that important. We're really not that big a deal. There's only one real king. Only one. And he will share his throne with no one else. So we either submit to that or get crushed by it. Trying to be more, Xerxes became less. Do you see that? He's trying so desperately to be more. And the harder he tries, the less and less and less he becomes. I mean, did you notice that his greatest fear did come true? Remember what his greatest fear was? Oh, I don't want the world knowing about my wife's snubs. (laughs) And then he sends, verse 22, he sends letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in his own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man can be master Every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. His greatest fear just came true. In other words, have you noticed that all our efforts to try to be king never work? We try to be more impressive. We actually become less impressive. And you know what? Now the whole world knows how unimpressive Xerxes is. And how many years have people been reading the Bible that now know how unimpressive he is? His worst fear came true. All right, so God's name's not mentioned in the book of Esther. We've said that last week, right? Not once. So God's MIA in Esther, right? He's missing in action. The book of Esther is the case of the mystery of the missing God. I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. God's own book, the big book about God, his own book, he's missing in it. He's not there. Most of us in this room today, most of us in churches all over Waco, most of us in churches all over the nation and the United States and the world are asking the same thing as the book of Esther. Where are you, God? Why don't you show up? Why don't you do something amidst all the chaos like we see in the Bible, like you did in the Bible? I want you to remember this. Remember that Esther is the last book of the Old Testament, so there are 38 other books that come before Esther, okay? So what I'm about to say next is actually the key that unlocks the mystery of the missing God. You ready? 38 books prior to Esther. Everyone's asking, 
Why don't you show up, God? Why don't you do something amidst all the chaos? And God, speaking through Esther, is saying through these other 38 books, I already did. And when you realize that I already acted comprehensively, I already worked cosmically, I already moved cataclysmically, when you realize that I realize that it's been accomplished, when you realize it's decisive and definitive and comprehensive, I've already moved. When you realize that, it's like a pair of glasses gets put on you and you now see God everywhere in Esther. In other words, when the reader comes to Esther, if the reader believes that God acted decisively, powerfully, personally, cosmically, comprehensively in the first 38 books of the Bible, they now start to see the real king everywhere in Esther. They now start to see the real king at work in their lives and their relationships and the chaos of their culture and their work and their home, their neighborhoods and their communities and their cities. It's like a new world just opened up once you get that clue. You start to see things like Timothy Cain and his commentary on Esther. He says, think about it. If there was no feast, there'd be no drunk king. No drunk king, no call to his wife. No call to his wife, no refusal. No refusal, no angry king. No angry king, no foolish counsel. No foolish counsel, no vashti disposal. No vashti disposal, no Esther. No Esther, no Jews. No Jews, no Jesus. No Jesus, no hope. That's Esther. When we believe the 66 books of the Bible and we believe that God has cosmically, decisively, definitively, comprehensively worked, act, shown up, done something, the book of Esther explodes with him on every page. You start seeing him on the move and at work in your life. You start seeing him on the move and at work in your church. You start seeing him on the move and at work in your culture. You start seeing him on the move and at work in your city. You start seeing him on the move and at work in your home. You start seeing him on the move and at work because he's the real king. We wish God would show up. We wish he would do something amidst all the chaos. And Esther is saying, he already did. Now, trust him here, trust him there, trust him over there. Because the real king is on the move. So what specifically, though, and then we've got to wrap this up, what specifically does Esther highlight that God already did? So, you know, okay, those first 38 books, what specifically is Esther highlighting that he already did that will help you in the present amidst your chaos? Because it's going to get real chaotic in Esther. A people is going to be genocidally, homicidally murdered, like worse than in World War II. It's going to get real dark. So what is it? What, what does Esther help you and me 
see our lives today, see the chaotic places today and all the upheaval today, and to move towards it like a warrior and not a coward or a bully? What would it be? Esther 1.10, here it is, you ready? Here it goes, Esther 1.10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he's drunk. He commanded Metham, Bispa, Harbona, he, all his eunuchs, I don't even know their names, and served in the presence of King Xerxes. He said, bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Now, you need to know that there are ancient when the first scholars of the Bible came to be, they were called rabbis. These ancient scholars, the first ones to actually think about this text and to start communicating its meaning. Here's what they say about the text. Xerxes commanded that they bring Queen Vashti before the king, adorned only with her royal crown. Do you see what this text is saying? She is naked, just the crown. In order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Here it is. You want to know the specific highlight that God wants you to know? The real king doesn't make you perform to love you. The real king doesn't make you perform to see you. The real king doesn't make you perform to recognize you. The real king doesn't make you perform to justify you. He just loves you. The real king just recognizes you. The real king just sees you. The real king justifies you. The real king doesn't demand more for you. You see this? He's not demanding more from you. The real king becomes less for you. I mean, look at this. Xerxes didn't leave his throne. Xerxes didn't leave his palace. Xerxes didn't leave his impressiveness, his greatness, his glory to go get his bride. Jesus did. Xerxes didn't of her snub, of his bride's offense against him. Jesus did. The Apostle Paul says it this way, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Jesus became less and became the king. Therefore, his name's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess. This is our king. The real king doesn't demand more from you to be loved, to be seen, to be recognized, to be justified. He became less for you because he does see you, because he does recognize you, because he does love you. And that is a game changer. Jesus is all the more you need. You don't need to be more. You don't need to want more. He's all the more you need. So how should you live amidst this chaos? If Jesus is all the more you need, if he's 
if he sees you, if he loves you, if he recognizes you, if he justifies you, you are now free to be less. You are free to be less. You are free to be less. You are free to be less. You don't have to be heard. You don't have to have your voice blend in with all the chaos. You don't have to be right. You don't have to control your way. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be a bully. You don't have to be a coward. You are free to be less. You don't, yeah, I'm going to stop. Because Jesus is all the more you need, you are free to be less. You can forgive snubs. You can, you are free to disagree with people. And you know what? This is radical. I know this is a new idea. It's, it doesn't happen in our world today. You are free to disagree with people and still be friends. In all my years of ministry, I've seen that happen maybe on my hand. I've seen disagreements. I can't even count them. And I've only seen maybe a handful of them people still be friends. And they're Christians. Jesus is all the more you need. If you are free to be less, you are free to love your enemy. You can now do the hard work of relationships. You're free to be less, so you can do the hard work. You're free to be less. You can actually love someone that doesn't like you. Jesus is all the more you need. So you know what? You're free to now actually to be what this book is all about, the ultimate warrior, the warrior princess that we're going to see. But you're free to be a warrior. So you know what that means? You're now free to love with Jesus' love. In other words, your love isn't based on performing. You're not making people, you're not making your kids, you're not making your spouse, you're not making your church, you're not making your church leaders, you're not making your culture, you're not making your political leaders perform for you. They don't have to dance without clothes and just their crown for you. For you to actually love them and recognize them and say they matter. You are free to love and love and love without any conditions. You are free to actively serve others. Colin said it interesting at the end at the service, the first service. Since you're not protecting your throne, you can get down now and serve. You're free to serve. You're, not, you're, you're free to not control people. You're free to serve people. You're free to serve their well-being, their interests, their good. You're free to be a warrior, to actively embody Jesus' grace on earth. You know what that means? You're actively embodying Jesus' grace on earth. You're no longer actively embodying your need to be more, your need to want more. Instead of be more, want more, you now you now embody grace. You now embody forgiveness. You now embody caring burdens. You now embody sacrificial service. You now embody, I'm going to empty myself like Philippians 2 says, because that's what he's actually saying. He says, you do the same thing. You're now going to empty yourself so that the other person gets filled. And that is draining. 
It's emotionally draining, mentally draining, relationally draining. You want to take a nap when it's over. But you know what? You get to do that. You are free to be a warrior to make friends with everyone. 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 We don't have to divide people up anymore. We don't have to divide them up between the level of money in their bank account. We don't have to divide them up between the level of, quote, assigned importance. We don't have to level, level people and rank people based on their race. We don't even play that game anymore. We don't talk that way anymore. Because when you talk that way, you actually create a false doctrine. And it's incredibly destructive. And you actually do the thing that you're trying to stop. So we can just simply, the Bible calls it, love one another. It's so radical. Be friends with everyone. Have gospel conversations with everyone. <laughs> if Jesus is all the more you need, he looks at you. He recognizes you. He gives you his importance. He gives you his impressiveness. He gives you his medals of honor. He gives you his life, his death, his resurrection. He gives you his kingdom. You are free to be less and live like a warrior.